0: From Blank Rome, you're listening to BR at Work, the labor and employment podcast for in-house counsel and HR executives. We invite you to join us as we explore relevant topics at the intersection of law, business, and current events to help you answer questions, solve problems, defend claims, and attract and retain a talented, engaged workforce. Let's get to work. Hello and welcome to BR at Work podcast focused on helping organizations get the most out of their workforces by providing thoughtful, strategic, and compliant strategies. My name is Will Anthony, and I'm a partner with Blank Rome, a national law firm with a broad labor and employment practice. Welcome to our podcast, where we try to explore timely workplace issues of interest to in-house counsel, human resources professionals, and executives. While none of this is intended to provide legal advice on your particular issues, we hope that you will find all the information useful. Of course, what is most important to us is that we address what is on your minds. So we welcome your ideas for topics and your interest in presenting with us as having that in-house perspective is critical to providing everyone with useful information. Feel free to reach out to me at william.anthony at blankrome.com with your thoughts on topics and your willingness to present on one of our podcasts. So today, I'm really excited to have a very dear friend with me and a new friend to talk about a really important topic. So let me introduce my co-presenters today, Marla Persky. Marla and I have had the pleasure of working, well, at least I've had the pleasure of working uh, with Marla for many years in a variety of capacities, and Kim Gaiso, who is a new friend that Marla introduced me to. Briefly, by way of background, Marla is an extraordinarily successful attorney, having been the GC of an international medical device company and the GC of an international pharmaceutical company for many years. She serves on the boards of many publicly traded companies, private companies, and uh, not-for-profits. She also is the CEO and president of WOMN LLC which is a company dedicated to helping women succeed in the business of law by increasing their knowledge of and acuity with financial drivers, client development, and leadership. Kim is the founder and CEO of Shine LLC. Kim has over 25 years of experience in human resources. And what I think is really great, as I learned a little bit more about Shine, And Shine delivers holistic coaching programs for leaders, teams, and individuals using a process of reflection, connection, and support. And I think that what you're going to hear from both Marla and Kim today is how all of their background and experience drives them to the thoughts that you're going to hear from them today. Enough from me. Marla, let's start with you. On a recent podcast, I spoke about the importance of an organization's culture its ethos when it comes to driving performance and avoiding problems in the workplace. From your experience, is ethos important? And if so, why?
1: Thanks for having me with you today, Will. And it's great to work with Kim again because she and I worked together for many years at Beringer Ingelheim. So it's an old friends get together here. So let's start with what I think ethos means, (laughs) and I think it's the cultural spirit and community which is manifested through beliefs and aspirations. It's really the distinguishing character or moral nature or guiding beliefs of a person or a group, or in this case, as we're talking about, a company or an institution. It's really mostly about how we aspire to behave. I think an understanding of company ethos provides a guidepost for which each employee, each action, each plan, each goal can be gained and directed. It's beyond the question of what is right and wrong, because each of us measures this differently. Ethos is the stated, understood underpinning of the how and the why of the organization. So, for example, an ethos for an organization can be the customer always comes first, or science drives everything we do, or our employees are our most valuable assets, or we're going to be number one in every market. And by having an ethos like that, that is understood and stated, it gives a backdrop for decision-making, spending, what's measured, what the company does, because there's always a whole host of decisions a company can make. And when there is an understood and strong ethos, that provides the one stick, not in the sand, but in the cement that everybody uses in deciding how they move forward as an organization.
0: That's really terrific. And Kim, I'm interested in your perspective on this as well.
2: Thank you, Will. And thank you, Marla. It's wonderful to see faces again and new faces and, and previous faces. So thank you for having me. I love your description of ethos, Marla. So to me, ethos to your point is like the purpose. Why do you exist? Why are you here? What value are you adding? And I think the culture is what supports that. So you talked about behavior, Marla. So The culture are the behaviors that are going to actually make that ethos happen. And I'm sure we've all heard that old phrase, culture eats strategy for breakfast. And from my experience in 25 years of HR and particularly in leadership development and and teams coaching, it just could not be a truer statement (laughs) because you can have the best intentions. You can have words on a wall. But if the culture isn't living and breathing what you want that ethos to be, you're never going to execute on the strategy that you've put out.
0: So Kim, let's uh, stick with you. How does an organization ensure that its entire workforce is aware of the organization's ethos, believes in it, and works within the bounds of that ethos?
2: Mm -hmm. I think that, values. Again, I don't want to say values as like words written on a wall, because I think that happens a lot in companies. But I think that values are really important to identify from a company perspective to say, what do we believe in? What do we really hold true and near and dear to us to make our purpose, our ethos happen? And how do we want to really use those as guardrails? And I think you can kind of easily embed those into practices that you know you can operationalize every day in your company. So things like talent management practice, I think to me is kind of an easy one. Years ago, I started my career at GE, and there was in the in what they called the session C review, which is the talent management practice, Jack Welch had made his quote unquote four box or two by two kind of famous, right? And it was a filter. It was a way to measure talent and leaders coming up through the pipeline in their talent review. And there were four boxes, and it was basically kind of the what and the how, right? So it was the performance of the person and how they were getting the job done. And what struck me as a new and career person was that one box that was the high performance but low on the values, Jack Welch labeled that box, tough call. And the message to the organization was, this is a tough call and we know what the answer is. So it's hard, it's tough because that person is performing maybe great and maybe they're hitting their numbers and they're you know hitting the metrics out of the park, but their behavior is not aligned to our values and our ethos. Therefore, this person has to change their behavior or they can't be here anymore. That's always stuck with me because I think It's kind of so easy, right? But you really have to live that. And that has to be embedded in the practice where that is truly part of the talent review process. And that how has to be just as important as the what. And in the room, in the discussion, you have to have the environment where it's safe to say, this person does not live by our values. They're not living with the ethos of our company. Therefore, they either need to change or they need to leave the organization.
1: So Kim highlighted the talent management process, but a company that really wants to drive its ethos as the shining beacon of what they aspire to be can use it in so many other ways. So obviously it's true for talent development and talent management, but it also can be used to help identify who you wanna hire into the organization. It also is used in how you set goals for the organization. Are the goals all return on investment money based or are they more supportive of the ethos? Um, When you have to make a decision as to where you're going to invest your money. I mean, there's only a pie that has so much money in it. And how are you going to divide up that pie? Driving the ethos of the organization is one important way of doing it. So for instance, if we go back to one of the examples I made as to what a a company ethos could be, and that is that the customer always comes first. Well, I mean, I think Nordstrom's is an example of that. It used to be, I don't know if it still is, since who steps in stores any longer, but it used to be that if you bought something like a pair of shoes at Nordstrom's. You could return it even after you wore the shoes. And in fact, Nordstrom would return, would accept a customer's return of shoes even without a proof of purchase. As long as the shoes were carried at Nordstrom's, if I bought them at Macy's, but I decided to return them at Nordstrom's, they would take it back because the customer comes first. That's an example of, in that case, it's a policy that was put in place in order to give life to the customer always comes first. So ethos is really important because it does, it can and it should find its way into policies. It should find its way into goal setting it definitely should find its way into compensation because you know you get the behavior you pay for and so it's far ranging and i think keeping the company ethos in mind and driving it through the organization particularly in even something as routine as policies really is one of the best ways of making sure that people are operating at at least the same base level because they know what the company does want to support and what it doesn't want to support.
0: So Marla and Kim, I'm interested in your thoughts on this. I have always, always encouraged my clients to have a well-publicized and well-known and well-used kind of internal complaint procedure, something where people have the opportunity to raise any concerns or thoughts, suggestions, anything, but just a way to communicate internally what's going well, what's maybe not going well within the organization, to give life to it through various channels of opportunities for people to raise concerns or to give some suggestions. And I think a lot of companies do that, but they don't necessarily have as large of a commitment to getting back to that person or letting them know that their voice was heard in some way, or maybe what they said wasn't adopted, but it was considered. I'm just interested in your thoughts on the importance of that type of policy working into what we're discussing today.
2: Gosh, so I have a couple of thoughts. I guess my first thought, and I'm going to back you up a little bit, Will, sorry for that, but My first thought is, again, going back to the environment and the culture you're creating. I think that if you put into practice, again, kind of daily operating rhythms that help people have those conversations naturally anyway, I think that helps a lot. So I totally agree with you that there should be a formal process that you can raise issues if you don't feel you're being heard or you feel like it's getting blocked or, you know, you are scared to say something to somebody There absolutely has to be a process in place for that. But backing up for a minute, I think it's super important to have, again, this culture and this environment of what now a lot of people are calling psychological safety, which is one-on-one dialogues between employee and manager, opportunities for teams to have open conversation discussions, opportunities for peer coaching with each other. And that's all, again, kind of modeling leadership behaviors that allow that to happen, that say, hey, I'm the leader of this team, and I'd like to hear from you what you don't agree with me about. I'd like to hear what you think isn't working. I'd like to hear what you think is working, right? I'd like to, you know, managers so simply can do a stop, start, continue like quarterly. You could send out a quick email to all your team members and just say, hey, what should I, in order to make you more effective, what can I stop, start and continue doing? Like those kind of operating practices, they might seem simple and small, but a lot of companies don't take the time to do them, even though they don't take that much time, right? And it actually, it creates that space and environment where people can raise those things safely then so that it doesn't end up having to go through a formal process channel. That's where I would say, first of all, I would want that foundation first. But then secondly, I totally agree with you. I think there always has to be a place for people if they don't feel safe enough or you know, they don't have a, a strong enough relationship with whoever the person is to go ahead and provide that input. Interestingly, I know that there's companies now, there's apps, there's a lot of apps coming out now, right? Where people can actually put the input into almost like a, well, it is a third party. It's actually not even the HR business partner, right? It's a third party. And then the third party comes back to the business and kind of delegates out, right, the question or the issue to where they think that the issue needs to get solved or answered. And that's a strategy. I, I don't I haven't heard yet kind of how that's working or not working. That is something that I know companies are starting to do. And then the third party is basically responsible for coming back to the employees saying, here's where I provided your you know, question or challenge. Here's what's coming back to you. But if you're not using a third party and you're using your HR business partners, And, or kind of a hotline, you know, that feedback loop is totally fundamental to the success of that whole process. Because if you don't loop back and let that person know, here's what we found for you, here's our answer, here's maybe, you know, you don't, that's not the answer you wanted, but it's still information for you, then people get totally frustrated and say, why does it exist if no one's going to come back to me and
0: let me know?
1: It's a classic information loop. So information has to go around the whole circle and even if the answer is not what one would hope the answer would be at least you know you've been heard and taken seriously
0: i think it's also very important just from the whole diversity equity and inclusion platform to make sure that people understand that their thoughts are welcome that and honestly i've always felt that that type of dialogue gets us to a better place within an organization
1: I just want to throw out something that I heard last night, actually, and it was a panel talking about the use of artificial intelligence to root out unconscious bias, Mm. and it's in its nascency, but it's very interesting, and I think it's actually, it doesn't replace the human element, but for instance, if you were to use this. I'm going to call it software. It's not really software, but I don't know what the hell else to call it, right? So (laughs) you use this software and you feed in all of the performance reviews for the past 12 months. And it will kick out or it will identify trends maybe at an organizational level, activities or trends at a manager level that shows disparity It doesn't say good or bad disparity, it just would show disparity and then it goes to a human to investigate. So for instance, if I'm using this AI tool and I find out that men are getting three paragraphs of written feedback and women by and large are getting one paragraph of written feedback, that's a disparity. If the tool points out that people of color are getting comments with butts, like a good communicator, although blank, where a Caucasian employee would just say good communication. It's things like that. That's where the unconscious bias comes in. Like a perfect example that the speaker used was he worked very hard last year, even though he went on paternity leave. Those are unconscious biases. And again, that, that there are things out there to try to help us find what we don't even know we're doing.
0: So we have a few more minutes. I'd like for each of you to give a little advice to our in-house uh, counsel executives and HR professionals that are listening in who are really in the the throes of trying to keep up with uh, ever-increasing demands being placed on them by today's variety of factors impacting the workplace today. So Kim, any thoughts?
2: Yeah, I'm working, actually have been working recently with several HR teams and they're exhausted. Everybody is, but I know that the HR teams are beyond exhausted and I'm sure the legal teams are as well. So I guess my first thought is put your own oxygen mask on first. Like, I think that HR through this whole, you know, past couple of years, and it's not going to get any easier, I don't think. Everything is just so agile and moving so quickly and, you know, change and now the future of the workplace and what does that look like and all that good stuff. I think we have to remember, you have to remember to take care of yourself first because you cannot help the organization or take care of others if you don't take care of yourself first. So I really, that sounds, again, simple, but I think it's really important to remember that our HR and legal teams are managing a lot behind the scenes and we need to be supporting them as well. The other thing I would say is it's not going to be perfect and things are changing so quickly And all of the things. is such a great example. The past couple of years, we've had no playbook for this. And we just had to use critical, you know, thinking and judgment and experience and wisdom, right, to make the best decisions we can. And that's how the world is going to be. You know, years ago, they talked about that VUCA term, right, that the military came up with volatile, uncertain, complex, ambiguous. And I have to say, I kind of laugh now thinking, boy, we thought it was VUCA 10 years ago, right? Like, this is VUCA, like, we get it now, right? So it's not going to be perfect. And we have to just try things. And then iterate. So experiment, pilot, did it work? Do you need to shift a little bit? It didn't work? Fine. Try something else and move forward. And don't beat ourselves up for thinking either we have to wait for it to be perfect or, oh, you know, that was a terrible failure or mistake. You just have to keep trying, iterating and moving forward.
1: All right. And, and mine is always know what the, your priorities are. What are the priorities? There's always things that are not going to get done. So start with the most important thing first. And the fact that, you know, as a lawyer, they're asking you for help. Well, that's a good thing because they could just be saying, well, the heck with the lawyers. You know, we're going to go ahead and do whatever it is we're going to do. So the fact that they're asking you is a good thing. And one of the best things you can do as a lawyer who's being asked to do far more than you possibly can do is, What's strategic? What's really going to move the ball forward? What can you empower your clients to do without you? And what can you stop doing? Because we get in these do loops. Well, we've always done X. Well, going back to what Kim said, it's changed. We've evolved. So why are we still doing X? If you start with your priorities, what's the most important must do? Then the rest of it either doesn't get done or you find different ways of doing it where it's not your fingerprints on everything.
2: I'll jump in, sorry, Will, I just have to say that Marla is famous at Beringer for, I don't know if she patented the term, but she should have, ruthless prioritization. And she <laughs> said it She said it in a meeting, what, like 20 years ago? And I still hear it from people at Beringer, they say, like Marla persky said, ruthless <laughs> prioritization. So that's, you're branded. Yeah, uh, I could be branded as worse. Depends on what
1: crowd you're with. So, <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, fabulous insights from uh, two incredible professionals. And look, we like to close our podcast with some positive thoughts and messages. So, I'd like to ask each of you to give our audience something positive to think about. Marla,
1: I call it the happiness factor. Everything that you do will not make you happy. But if you're not happy in your career or you're not happy doing what you're doing, where you're doing it, it's within your power to change. And so every once in a while, take the time to look at yourself in the mirror. I actually do it when I'm putting on my makeup in the morning. I'll be honest. Uh, You know, Will, you might, you know, when you're shaving, right? (laughs) But you're looking yourself in the eye in the mirror and you say, am I happy And what are the elements of happiness? And if, because what makes me happy is a little different from what makes each of you happy, but we're professionals. We want to make a difference. We want to have an impact. We want to be proud of what we're doing and who we're doing it with. And so the positive message is take the time to circumvent your life and find what makes you happy and do more of it. That's
0: great. Kim? It.
2: So I was reminded of a quote by Maya Angelou the other day. And it just made me think about our current context. And I guess maybe some of my insights in the past couple of years in the current context of our world today. And the quote says, Do the best you can until you know better. Then when you know better, do better. That is something okay. that I've been trying to be cognizant of and think about it every day.
0: That's awesome. Well, thank you both so much. This has been a terrific presentation, unbelievable insights. So, thank you and thank you to our audience for listening to uh, today's BR at work podcast. We hope you learned some strategies that will help you achieve your business's objectives through an engaged, motivated, and energized workforce. Your jobs are challenging and we appreciate all you do for your organizations. And again, if you have any thoughts for topics or presenters, please reach out at, williamanthony at blankrome.com. Thank you very much.
2: Thanks for listening. Thank you for having us.
0: We appreciate you joining us for this episode of BR at Work. To continue the conversation with a team of attorneys that understand your business, your needs and priorities, and the unique risks you face, visit us at blankrome.com. The insights and views presented in BR at Work are for general information purposes only and should not be taken as legal advice for any individual case or situation. The information presented is not a substitute for consulting with an attorney, nor does tuning into this podcast constitute an attorney-client relationship of any kind.